Chapter 3 of Letters of a Woman Homesteader. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Letters of a Woman Homesteader by Eleanor Pruitt Stewart. Chapter 3 A Busy, Happy Summer. September 11th, 1909. Dear Mrs. Coney, this has been for me the busiest, happiest summer I can remember. I have worked very hard, but it has been work that I really enjoy. Help of any kind is very hard to get here, and Mr. Stewart had been too confident of getting men, so that haying caught him with too few men to put up the hay. He had no man to run the mower, and he couldn't run both the mower and the stacker, so you can fancy what a place he was in. I don't know that I ever told you, but my parents died within a year of each other and left six of us to shift for ourselves. Our people offered to take one here and there among them until we should all have a place, but we refused to be raised on the halves, and so arranged to stay at grandmother's and keep together. Well, we had no money to hire men to do our work, so had to learn to do it ourselves. Consequently, I learned to do many things which girls more fortunately situated don't even know have to be done. Among the things I learned to do was the way to run a mowing machine. It cost me many bitter tears because I got sunburned and my hands were hard, rough, and stained with machine oil, and I used to wonder how any Prince Charming could overlook all that in any girl he came to. For all I had ever read of the Prince had to do with his reverently kissing her lily-white hand, or doing some other fool trick with a hand as white as a snowflake. Well, when my prince showed up, he didn't lose much time in letting me know that Barkis was willing, and I wrapped my hands in my old checked apron and took him up before he could catch his breath. Then there was no more mowing, and I almost forgot that I knew how until Mr. Stewart got into such a panic. If he put a man to mow, it kept them all idle at the stacker, and he just couldn't get enough men. I was afraid to tell him I could mow for fear he would forbid me to do so. But one morning, when he was chasing a last hope of help, I went down to the barn, took out the horses, and went to mowing. I had enough cut before he got back to show him I knew how, and as he came back manless, he was delighted as well as surprised. I was glad because I really liked to mow, and besides that, I am adding feathers to my cap in a surprising way. When you see me again, you will think I am wearing a feather duster, but it is only that I have been said to have almost as much sense as a mon, and that is an honor I never aspired to, even in my wildest dreams. I have done most of my cooking at night, have milked seven cows every day, and have done all the hay cutting. So you see, I have been working. But I have found time to put up thirty pints of jelly and the same amount of jam for myself. I used wild fruits, gooseberries, currants, raspberries, and cherries. I have almost two gallons of the cherry butter, and I think it is delicious. I wish I could get some of it to you. I am sure you would like it. We began haying July 5th and finished September 8th. After working so hard and so steadily, I decided on a day off. So yesterday I saddled the pony, took a few things I needed, and Jerrine and I fared forth. 
Baby can ride behind quite well. We got away by sunup, and a glorious day we had. We followed a stream higher up into the mountains, and the air was so keen and clear at first we had on our coats. There was a tang of sage and of pine in the air, and our horse was mid-side deep in rabbit brush, a shrub just covered with flowers that look and smell like goldenrod. The blue distance promised many alluring adventures, so we went along singing and simply gulping in summer. Occasionally a bunch of sage chickens would fly up out of the sagebrush, or a jackrabbit would leap out. Once we saw a bunch of antelope gallop over a hill, but we were out just to be out, and game didn't tempt us. I started, though, to have just as good a time as possible, so I had a fish hook in my knapsack. Presently, about noon, we came to a little dell, where the grass was as soft and as green as a lawn. The creek kept right up against the hills on one side, and there were groves of quaking asp and cottonwoods that made shade, and service bushes and birches that shut off the ugly hills on the other side. We dismounted and prepared to noon. We caught a few grasshoppers, and I cut a birch pole for a rod. The trout are so beautiful now, their sides are so silvery with dashes of old rose and orange. Their speckles are so black, while their backs look as if they had been sprinkled with gold dust. They bite so well that it doesn't require any especial skill or tackle to catch plenty for a meal in a few minutes. In a little while I went back to where I had left my pony browsing with eight beauties. We made a fire first, then I dressed my trout while it was burning down to a nice bed of coals. I had brought a frying pan and a bottle of lard, salt, and buttered bread. We gathered a few service berries. Our trout were soon browned, and with water, clear and as cold as ice, we had a feast. The quaking aspens are beginning to turn yellow, but no leaves have fallen. Their shadows dimpled and twinkled over the grass like happy children. The sound of the dashing, roaring water kept inviting me to cast for trout, but I didn't want to carry them so far, so we rested until the sun was getting low and then started for home, with the song of the locusts in our ears warning us that the melancholy days are almost here. We would come up over the top of a hill into the glory of a beautiful sunset with its gorgeous colors, then down into the little valley already purpling with mysterious twilight. So on until just at dark, we rode into our corral, and a mighty tired, sleepy little girl was powerfully glad to get home. After I had mailed my other letter, I was afraid that you would think me plumb bold about the little Bo Peep, and was a heap sorrier than you can think. If you only knew the hardships these poor men endure, they go two together, and sometimes it is months before they see another soul, and rarely ever a woman. I wouldn't act so free in town, but these men see people so seldom that they are awkward and embarrassed. I like to put them at ease, and it is to be done only by being kind of hail-fellow well-met with them. So far, not one has ever misunderstood me, and I have been treated with every courtesy and kindness, so I am powerfully glad you understand. 
They really enjoy doing these little things like fixing our dinner. And if my poor company can add to anyone's pleasure, I am too glad. Sincerely yours, Eleanor Rupert. Postscript. Mr. Stewart is going to put up my house for me and pay for my extra work. I am ashamed of my long letters to you, but I am such a murderer of language that I have to use it all to tell anything. Please don't entirely forget me. Your letters mean so much to me, and I will try to answer more promptly. End of chapter 3